Hi, hi, it's Joy Foster, founder of Tech Fixies, and you are listening to the Sparkle and Thrive podcast. And of course, if you're wanting to join us live, you're more than welcome to, usually on Fridays at 10 a.m. Uh, and today we are joined by an incredible guest, someone I've known for several years now. Uh, and uh, maybe, Timmy, maybe you can tell the story of how we met, I think, or maybe I can elaborate on that. But uh, we are starting our Playing Big series. We're kicking off a whole series on Playing Big. I read the book by Tara Moore. I loved the book. Unfortunately, she can't be a guest with us. But what I've done is I've found some very inspirational guests who've played big in life and who've also worked with women who've played big in life. So, uh, Jimmy, welcome to the show. Yeah, well, no, it's great to be here, Joy. And although we ha it feels a very covered relationship, despite the fact we've known each other for a long time, we've still not met in person yet. Uh, but it's great to kind of be doing this. So Joy and I first met when I was working for the Prime Minister, Theresa May, the 2017 uh, general election campaign. And I was told that we were about to do a big kind of reskilling announcement as part of one of our manifesto pledges could I find a uh, inspirational company for the Prime Minister to go and visit at about three days notice? And this is always quite a then bizarre process that you sort of go through as you try and research different startups that are happening out there. Because that was my role for the Prime Minister was to be uh, the business special advisor, always kind of focused on entrepreneurship. And so I had to sort of research all these you know, companies that were doing this. And I came across Tech Pixies. And I was blown away by what you guys doing. So this was during the yeah, 2017 general election campaign. And I just thought this, this is the one. And then you have to go through this slightly strange process of trying to speak to the individual or the company without giving away too much because there's lots of things that are changing and you may end up doing a different announcement or a different speech or something like that. So you don't want to raise people's hopes too much. But yeah, effectively, you know, I called you and said, look, I work for the Prime Minister and she'd quite like to come and visit you. So how does that sound? So I don't know what your reaction was, Joy, when that happened. Well, I think the funny part about that is I don't think you were allowed to say Prime Minister. I think you said a senior female minister. I think that's the way that you said it, which of course there was only one female senior minister that I figured was calling from Downing Street. But what was really interesting is like, I could have totally missed that call, you know? And the crazy thing is, is somehow I didn't miss that call. Um, and uh, what I think is hilarious is then there's this procedure where they have to come in and they have to do the sniff dogs and they have to check everything out. And so I'm, I'm at Legoland on the weekend, like in the middle of queues, like messaging you back and forth as to like where she can come and, and what, you know, when we can do all this whole thing, what time everyone can be there. And also I've got a coordinate about 15 people to actually be there. Yes. It was it was such a process. Um, but I have to say it was such a such a first of all a blessing for us when Theresa May came, regardless of what people's uh, political opinions are, whenever you get the opportunity to sit down with someone who is making the major decisions or is influencing the major decisions and some of those decisions are about the community that you serve, you take that opportunity. And I just felt like it was important to have that opportunity. What I was so impressed with by her were two things. One, she came and she had a private kind of, and it wasn't so private, but like a private audience with me where we had a conversation about what we were doing, surrounded by um, aides and, and you know, people w that were kind of making sure that we were having the right kind of conversation and capturing the conversation. But then, so she listened. She really listened to what we were, the problem we, that the women we had in our program were facing. And she really just let me talk and go through it. But the other thing that she did that was just, I just watched her in awe. She was in the middle of the election 
And of course the entire press suite was there too. Everyone in the press was there and cause she was on the mid on the campaign trail. So they were drilling her. And when I mean drilling her, like they were rude. Like the questions they were asking were so harsh. And I remember thinking a normal person would like totally lose their, you know, cool under those circumstances. And she didn't, she just answered the questions. She stayed calm and cool. And I thought, I have never seen that in my life. That was so impressive. So that was really, really cool. Now, Jimmy, I want to correct you on one point. We have met in person. Uh, you invited me to Downing Street and we had a private meeting in the same room. I think that there was a big negotiation done in the world state. That's true. That was the G7 table, wasn't it? From the last G7 in Northern Ireland, because we just had the last one. I forget. It, it's funny. It's one of the reflections that actually you get in Downing Street. I was caught up with one of my former colleagues this week and you say because you're working so long and so hard your memories don't form properly um and uh, yeah we've all had troubles with the pandemic and and so on and time sort of a going incredibly quickly and then not at all so yes you are you are right that is my mistake i remember that clearly now it's special for the person coming right because you're in downing street every day but when you get invited to go to downing street and you get to go through that whole process it's so unique and different for us we we remember every minute of it like i remember walking up the hallway i remember sitting at the table so that's that's probably you're used to it or were you you're, you're right but it's a real thing that you have to try and remember when you're there because it does become very blasé and it does become you know it, it does become the norm for you and i remember somebody at the end of my first week saying you know whereabouts are you in the office or something and i remember thinking at that point god it's so strange calling this place an office you know um when we've already calling it that and so yeah i would i would often try particularly at these sort of great moments of history of which there were a number when i was there is just remind yourself of what it was like the first time you walked up the street because you know i was as giddy as anyone about it and you know it has funny effects on people going there as well and particularly meeting the prime minister yeah, even the most accomplished of business leaders you know meeting a prime minister does funny things to them yeah no it's so true well what i do think is amazing about her whether or not she actually remembers us we did send her a mug that said uh tech pixies on it and then actually said prime minister on it a couple years later after she came to visit us i met her at another event and um, I said, you know, I just want to thank you for what you did for us. You really put us on the, 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 the national stage. And it was really interesting because um, prior to uh, her visit, the website was all about Oxford. Like we train in Oxford, right? That was where we do our program. And knowing she was coming and knowing she was on the, the global or the, well, the global stage, but certainly on the national stage for the election, I thought, we've got to adjust the website so that we are national. Like we're in London too, right? Let us know where you are and we'll come to you. And it was really interesting because I went onto the website the night before, I changed everything up to say, yeah, just let us know where you are in the country and then we'll let you know when we open up a program there. And I kid you not, like the next day, cause she name dropped us on national television, our entire website just spiked and we had uh, more people register in one day than we'd had in that whole previous year. And the gift that she gave with her influence was that we have women who saw her on television, went onto our website, registered, did our program, and are now financially independent uh, and and like living their best life as a result of that. And I think that was the point of this conversation was that I had heard a really brilliant podcast um, between uh, Brene Brown and Melinda Gates, and they were talking about 
the four spheres of influence where we need more women uh, in the leadership. And that is in politics, uh, for sure, and finances and tech. And um, there was a fourth one and I'm blanking on it right now. But I really want to hone in on this politics side because one of the biggest things we see at Tech Pixies, so we we help women who are uh, would classify themselves as you know tech dinosaurs or social media imposters. We help them to realize that if they don't find their voice, if they don't take off their invisibility cloak, if they don't become visible, they will not have an impact in this world. And if the, if if one of their goals is to have an impact in this world, which a lot of women have that goal and that desire, but they don't act on it, then they've got to become visible. And becoming visible comes with a lot of worries about trolls and negativity and, you know, not being good enough. And what are people going to say or what are people going to think? And I think women in politics are so rare because of all of these fears. So you've had experience with the second female prime minister in the history of the UK. And you've also had experience with other top female senior leaders and top female business leaders. What are some of the traits that they have that separate them from the others? And how do they overcome this fear of negativity, fear, you know, this conscious bias issue that they, they have, this imposter syndrome issue that they have? Well, I think it's a challenge on a, a number of um, a number of ways. I mean, there is a great Margaret Thatcher quote about the challenge in Westminster is that you have to be twice as good as a man. Uh, to get anywhere the good news is that that's not hard um, and that always kind of sticks with me as a quite a, a very Margaret Thatcher style quote um, I think it becomes more of a challenge I mean I and also Joy you, we've spoken recently as well but yeah you know, I left number 10 because you know I was up stayed on with the new prime minister for uh, for the transition period because I'd worked with him when he was mayor of London and I left because I was having our first baby and I was just like, I can't continue at this pace anyway after three years. Um, and afterwards, you know, the baby arrived and then the pandemic happened in March 2020. And my wife ended up returning um, to the NHS because she's a doctor to fight the pandemic. And I became a, a stay-at-home dad. Uh, so I'd gone from kind of prime ministerial briefings to Peppa Pig, um, which is not quite what I've been anticipating. Or from Downing Street to diapers, whatever kind of phrase you uh, you want to use. And, and you yeah, know, it's, it's been a big change. And, and I must also come back to using technology, because I know that's that's a lot of where Tech Pixie started out in terms of retraining people specifically in social media and technology. So must return to that. But I think the the traits are, when Theresa May became Prime Minister, there was a lot of focus on it because we thought that Hillary Clinton was about to become the first US um, female president as well. And I remember a lot of, you know, some Congress people coming around and asking questions about what it was like to work for a female Prime Minister. And it was quite hard, really, to, to answer it. And I remember her being asked it a number of times as well and sort of responding with, you know, I've never done the job as a man, so I can't, uh, I can't give you an answer. Yeah. There are so many demands on women and the, the scrutiny is, is often a lot higher of it. You know, Julia Gillard talks about this, um, the former Australian minister just in the sense of every morning you know she'd have to spend quite a long time thinking about what she was going to wear and that side of things and you know a man has to go about as far as deciding which color tie he wears and trust me i've worked with some 
you know, senior male politicians and, and they spend a lot of time worrying about the colour of that tie. So it's, um, you know, it's a good job that they didn't have an entire outfit to kind of necessarily worry about. Otherwise, we'd never get anything done potentially as a country. So I think it's a challenge. I think there are very different things that are held up. But it's, um, you know, as you said, you do need a, a thick skin in, in politics. And that's is something which is seen perhaps as traditionally more of a male trait um, because they just, you know, things bounce off them more because um, you're right. And you're, you saw those questions and that was on a daily basis. And that's before you even get into now the modern world of social media and, and running their own accounts, which you know, most politicians broadly do run their own accounts. It's only when you get to the kind of very senior levels do you have a team that does that. Um, for you and there are just some like horrendous things kind of written on there and even like as an advisor like you like you, you would inevitably feel uh stung by it on those um on those things as well um i do i will share a funny uh, one funny story with you i'm one of the most intense questioning periods would always come when we were on a trade trip and because it meant that all the journalists could come to the front of the plane and just pepper the primates. And because it wasn't normally, okay, we would be flying to Japan or China and we'd have all these trade deals announced. But the press pack would always sort of be, you know, just chasing whatever political stories. And normally it's only a general election campaign, all that where they get quite so much open access to be able to ask whatever they want. And I remember one journalist sort of, it, we were flying on the Monday and Teresa had been at church the previous day and he said there was some i can't even remember what the problem was now there was something difficult happening with brexit or whatever and the journalist said what do you pray for at church prime minister and she looked at him square in the eyes and just said i pray for sensible questions from journalists and i just thought it was so good um and i've always i've always remembered that but sometimes um yeah it was a it was a great moment well that's one of the things that i find really interesting about the british political system versus the american political system um there is a lot more of this kind of humor satire and the clever responses and it's not to say that the americans don't do it it's just uh, you know, we don't have that same grilling of the president in the way that you have the grilling of the prime minister and it and the banter. You know, it's it's very interesting because when you do watch those and I don't watch them that often, but when you do watch a clip of them, you know, the prime minister always gives back as much as they take as well, which I find really interesting because that's something that wouldn't happen in American politics as much, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I mean, the simple difference is, is because it's the head of state in the US and obviously Queen is the head of state here in the um, in the UK, but the um, it is it was amazing being at the press conferences of, of when the president and the prime minister would do a joint one, because of course when the president walks in, the whole US press corps stand up and um, clap the president in, and obviously all the Brits just sit there on their hands, just thinking, no way, <laughs> like would we ever do that? And I remember at the first Trump. Uh, May press conference in the States after he'd run. So she was the first leader to go out in January 2017. And the PM went to Laura Koonsberg first, who fired in, as Laura does in her very impressive way, some really hard kind of uh, double-edged question about things. And Trump just said, like, 
wow that's that was the first person that you wanted to ask a question he was like boy there goes that special relationship and it was like it was these kind of worlds colliding of where he just could not like appreciate that that was the first person that we wanted to go and ask questions to but it's an interesting thing as well because you know laura gets a heck of a lot of um stick as well on twitter and social media and you know her job is always to put very difficult questions to people and i can assure you at no point did we think that laura coonsberg was on our side and yet people on social media and, and twitter would interpret it that way and um you know she is somebody else who is a senior high profile woman who um you know has taken a lot of an incredible amount of uh, stick and she is an uber professional and is very good at her job and what do you think I mean, I guess how how do and I guess it's not just women, but it's it's people in politics who have to deal with this. I just think women get it worse because there's the ability to kind of do the digs on the female side that you can't do to the males. But like in your experience, how do female senior leaders or how do they combat that? How do they deal with it? Well, I've often found like working with senior females is that they are very rational about things and they tend to you know go at things through a very logical uh, process and that was often what Theresa May did and you know sometimes there was criticism of you know her not being able to be passionate and and kind of putting that the oomph in the communication at points but everything was always done in a very logical and process driven driven way and that is a trait which is is very good for people in high pressure situations no matter what they're they're dealing with um and i think it's uh you know it's it's becoming more um important to be able to to have those and you know well, i think as a country we've made good strides in it but there's a there's a long way to go and we we need to be doing more and we need to be improving the um the pipeline and you know i know there'll be lots of people listening and, and watching this right now there is a great uh website and campaign called ask her to stand um and i have started doing it now as well and i think i did it with you joy the other day i hope i did when talking about politics with female friends colleagues or whatever is turning around asking the simple question of saying well why don't you stand um and why don't you put yourself in there because it's a complicated world to work out how to do it as well. It's a very archaic system of panels and different things. I mean, it's better than it was, but it's you, you require a lot of inside knowledge. And Isabel Hardman's book, um, who is a, um, a journalist at The Spectator, has written a great book about why we get the wrong politicians. And yeah, she talks a lot, a lot about this in there. But yeah, it's worth checking out the campaign group Ask Her to Stand because we need more people putting themselves forward for it and not just at national level either you know we can make big changes at um at local politics level local council and of course that's where Theresa May started out as a councillor in in South London. Wow yeah that's so great to know about that campaign and also that book and I think that's true is you know one of the things that I've benefited from in the online space is that there's a lot of people who have gone before me had very successful online businesses and they share their roadmap in their courses and their programs and you know I think that's half the battle is 
figuring out the roadmap to to getting there. And I think the first hurdle to overcome is being worthy of going for it, um, feeling like your voice uh, matters, that what you stand up for is more important than the fear you have around what people might say about you uh, and and who you are. I think for, for women, they, they need that support and that roadmap to get themselves going in the right path. Do you have any suggestions for where women can start with that apart from the the book that you recommended and yeah I mean it's one of the hardest questions in life isn't it it's like how do you get self-belief and how do you keep that going as well um and we've all experienced this in the pandemic of that being really hard at points and inevitably is all taking hits at various points and um you know I've had challenges during it as well of you know you sort of think about it and that imposter syndrome as well I mean gosh I had that when I was at, at Downing Street on various occasions as well and you know it's surrounding yourself with good people right and that's the that's the thing and, and building that network and you know I, that's a real challenge it's a real challenge actually when you get a bit older as well right um you know once you've kind of gone past that initial first job phase um it can be quite hard to find yourself in a group of people at a similar age that have some kind of common bond. In fact, one of the next big things of it is probably your kind of NCT group and, and so on when you have that first um, child. And so, you know, how you encourage self-belief is is one of the big challenges. But yeah, I mean, just say the campaign group again, ask her to stand, They're run by some brilliant um, people, and it gives lots of advice and tips on there for how to go about it. Yeah, that's great. And I don't I don't want to gloss over what you said earlier on, which is so important because you have experienced what 90% of women have experienced and probably 10% of men if that have experienced this role reversal change where your spouse goes back to work and you're home doing the childcare. What's really interesting though and what I love about what you did and I really want someone who might be listening to this uh thinking you know, how could I use, you know, that little time I have, because you have a little, you know, if you can carve out a little bit of time, even as a full-time parent carer, if you can carve out a little bit of time for yourself, you know, um, what, what Eve Rodsky in her book, Fair Play calls it is unicorn time. You know, she says like, if you can give yourself a little bit of unicorn time, a little bit of me time, what would that look like? And I want you to talk us through the process that you went through because you ended up launching a podcast, a very successful and influential podcast as a result. And uh, obviously that's starting to take up a lot of your time. But where did, you know, in the midst of going from Downing Street to diapers and then say, like trying to figure out what you were going to do with yourself at, with the limited time you had, the limited unicorn time you had, what how, what was that process like? How did you get it going? And what has that done for you? Yeah, it's an amazing thing. So like like I briefly said, I mean, it's, it's I, I think it's poor form to sort of come on a, another successful podcast and kind of like plug your own too much. So I'm glad we've kind of got to 25 minutes before I've, I've done this. So uh, yeah, my podcast is called Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. And so I left Downing Street and we were having the baby and I just thought this will be great time to spend my wife and have a few months at home and kind of just exploring things and kind of stepping out after a a few high octane years in Westminster um and see what what kind of happens and, and what comes up you know after all I'd been advising on the new economy and entrepreneurship and well I mean we actually went and studied at California we went out to Stanford University took the whole family out there when um that my daughter was a tot and it was kind of easy to do we had a great two months out there came back 
the pandemic happened and as I said my wife went back to work and I became a stay-at-home dad for that kind of first bit of it and I sat there and just thought like you know what 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 can I do because it wasn't a kind of traditional maternity paternity leave I couldn't go and see lots of people right you know it was my wife was at work and we had our one hour walk around the park <laughs> per day at the beginning of it and I just thought to myself with everything that was about to happen that we needed to understand about jobs of the future and there was an element of when I was in Downing Street that you would still get some of the big high street retailers, Debenhams, etc., announcing a thousand job losses, and yet we were at record high employment. So it would be something that I would always try and brief the Prime Minister on was like some entrepreneurs that had created 10 or 12 jobs that wouldn't get media coverage and so on, but it was happening all the time. And I just thought with my contacts and networks, I'd be able to bring in pretty good guests from these entrepreneurial spaces who've built really impressive businesses and created lots of jobs, and we could explore those together. So it's partly a self-interest point of view of me trying to work out what I'm going to do next with my career, and uh, also the fact that it was a podcast meant I could strategically record it in nap times um, as well. Um, and so we've had some great guests on it, like you know Anne Bowden of Starling Bank, who's created a thousand jobs in the last six years. Um, we are all around the country in Southampton and Cardiff, London, and then other great entrepreneurs like Pip Jameson, uh, the founder of The Dots, which is like a creative. Um, no collar network for people that want to freelance which is amazing Catherine Parsons from Decoded I have a um, big emphasis on the on the podcast remaining kind of 50 50 on the kind of male female split and it is interesting when you're yeah I get so many men that write to me saying I'd love to appear on it and I can count on one hand the amount of times a woman's done that actually like um and it's just that nature of it and so yeah it's been really successful and it's growing and we're in Apple's top 20 business podcasts and so on and we seem to have caught a bit of a, a zeitgeist for it because I think people are interested and yeah I went up and saw the Gymshark uh, guys who will be kicking off our third series later in the later in the summer and they're going to be hiring for a lot of jobs and he was going through some of them and I just thought I don't recognize these jobs right and I graduated just over a decade ago and I look at this and think what are all these things it's quite interesting when you look at the the demographics of who's listening to the podcast we've actually got quite a lot of over 50s listening and I think that's people wanting to help their kids with their careers and so on because it's it's hard to work out because in a way there's never been more options now than ever before and that's great but it kind of helps those that are privileged and clever already because they are able to navigate it even quicker in some ways and so whilst in a way the world's become a lot more democratized in terms of its information it also kind of reinforces the privileges and the and the disadvantages that some find themselves in um and also just as a, a genuine point particularly interesting for you at tech pixies is when I came out of Downing Street I'd spent three years there so a decent portion of time but not loads of it and we worked on some very arcane technology systems there due to security and so on we yeah we weren't allowed to use things like Google Docs and all this time and I have to say coming out I had not realized just how far and how quickly things have progressed in that period and it has taken me quite a time to kind of get back up to speed with that you know and I'm in my early 30s you know and it's 
it's been a very useful um, reminder in that sense. But yeah, I mean, look, do check out the podcast, Jimmy's Jobs of the Future, to give it another quick plug. Um, it's got lots of interesting entrepreneurs talking there about jobs of the future. And the Pip Jamison episode is particularly good, I think, in terms of that, the way the workforce is changing. Well, I, I love your podcast and I definitely wanted to plug it. Uh, I hope to be a guest on it. Um, but I think the, the, the thing that I love about it is just what you said. People don't realize how many jobs in tech are not tech jobs. You know, you still need customer support. You still need project management. I mean, these are things that women are exceptionally good at. And in a tech company, they pay extremely well as well. Uh, and you can move, move within the company quite quickly if you've got those skills. Exactly. On that one, the Hayden Wood episode, which is our very first episode. So he runs Bulb, which is a renewable energy company, fastest growing company in Europe. And he has built a team of, I think, close to a thousand people now. It was so interesting talking to him about it. Is that he reckoned less than 5% of people had an energy or you know strong renewable energy background before that. And you can look at that company, you can be passionate about, you know, green jobs or you know, passionate about the climate, but not have any particular demonstration in the, you, know, you might not have a climate science PhD or even uh, you know undergrads, or we don't even really have that kind of study at uh, A-levels or, or school. Um, and you can think, well, I would never be able to work there. And actually you're right, like he still has lots of copywriters, he still has lots of marketeers, you know, um, he still has lots of you know, what you might term a traditional job, um, but is obviously very much with a green element to it. But if you can demonstrate that in the interview, who's saying, you know, that's that's the kind of key to it. But I do think it's that you know, classic male female divide as well, is that you you know, men will look at a way that they can make themselves relevant for it. And a woman will look at the 10 bullet points and think I can't do one, therefore I can't do the whole job. And I think that's a, um, you know, that's a real example with these companies. Again, Anne Bowden at Starling Bank, like she talks about all these different jobs that they've created there. And you would think, oh, well, I don't have financial services. I don't have a banking uh, background. I mean, Anne actively encourages people that doesn't have that. <laughs> I mean, it's, um, but it's, it's been fascinating to talk to people about it like that. Well, that's uh, super interesting. I think that the, the one thing that I have recognized with tech companies that have these great jobs that pay well, that aren't tech based, you know, like, like you said, the copywriting, the marketing, uh, it could be the project management, could be customer service, customer support. The downside is a lot of these companies prior to the pandemic, and I think the pandemic has changed things, uh, they would only have full-time jobs. And it's really mm. interesting because I interviewed Matt Mullenweg, who's the um, founder of WordPress uh, and Automatic, um, which of course powers like 36% of the web now. But he was saying that tentatively they were rolling out uh, the ability for people to work less than full-time. And it was something that they were doing now, after having thousands of employees that were full time, they were starting to to, you know, in order to recruit women, they were having to change the rules uh, to more part time roles. And I think that, you know, from a policy perspective, you know, or and I don't even know if that works in the policy space, but businesses until the pandemic were very unwilling to have people work from home part time flexibly. And suddenly we had to work 
from home part-time flexibly. Uh, and, and, and somehow we've kept going. And, and I think a lot of companies are recognizing that. I remember interviewing a guy that was high up at Twitter. He was like VP of Twitter in the UK. And, um, and he said to me that something along the lines, you know, I said, well, will, will you have flexible work? And, you know, and he, and he said, at this point, we don't. And it was so interesting because Twitter was one of the first companies to then say, okay, everyone can work from home forever. You know, and it was, it was, it's been interesting to see how the pandemic in many ways, while it, had, it has hurt a lot of women, particularly women in, in lower skilled jobs, it's also probably elevated opportunities for women because of the, the, the changes that companies have had to make. So what do you, what do you think about that? I think it's right. And I don't think anyone really knows how this is all going to shake down at the moment. And a lot of people are talking about the classic at the moment seems to be two days in the office, three days at home, etc. Yeah, I'm not sure that's going to be the way that it it works. Um, I don't really have an alternative. I just, whenever anyone coalesces around some sort of group thing, I initially uh, begin to get sceptical because I always think that that's the danger. Um, and I think it will be in lots of different ways that it cuts. I think the the challenge is going to be drawing boundaries, right? And it has been in the pandemic, right, really hard on that. And if you're part-time, there is always a danger that you end up getting dragged into doing more of it. Um, in the same way, exactly the same way that when you're full-time you do as well. Like there aren't, you know, there aren't many jobs, if you want to be successful, where you can just sort of, where you can check out early. Like it's, it's hard to to do that because there's always more stuff to be done in an interesting job, right? And that's the the challenge with it. It's interesting some of the startups I've been speaking to actually. So I spend my time like advising doing the, the podcast and so on. And those that are just starting out, and yeah, we're doing this a bit with the with podcast because yeah, we hope that Jimmy's jobs of the future is going to grow to be something bigger than just a podcast. But you may well end up seeing places being creative in terms of once a month you know going for a night away at a hotel and doing two days either side of that like quite intense creative work and so on and actually you know almost not really taking laptops we're doing that at tech Vixies. <laughs> that is, that, I, i'm on i'm on board with this so we're taking our entire team to bath for two nights it's been a palava with like all the Airbnbs we've had to rent in order to stick with the COVID restrictions. But we've got the entire team going and the people who can't spend the night, they're coming in for the day. We're doing the bad tour of Bath where we're going to like see all the funny stories and the bad stories about Bath. And then we've got two meals planned. And we've said to the team, look, guys, this is not about doing work. It's about connecting uh, to each other and, you know, really kind of connecting back to the core of what makes this business tick because the people make the business tick, right? If the people who are serving the students are happy, the students will be happy. And it's really about checking in with them. And we've got, we've got single moms who have made arrangements to be there because they want that time uh, with each other. And then just that self time, we even have uh, free time for five hours in the afternoon for people who are staying overnight. Like, go do what you want to go do. If you want to go look at the Bridgerton tour, go look at the Bridgerton tour. If you want to go swim in the spa, go swim in the spa. It's really about like, let's just get away and do that. And I feel so validated in that decision right now. Thank you for that, Jimmy. But, uh, but I think that's the way, right? Because as, as well on childcare, like it's because it's much easier to plan childcare doing something different once a month 
or once every two months or how often you want to do these things rather than have to do it like two or three times a day and so on so i think that be i mean that just sounds so much fun right and that's what you're 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 trying to do and people can do the yeah, the classic desk research or you know the the desk operating ones and i think that sounds so much um it just sounds really fun like the bad tour of bath like after I know, that. right? and that's, that's the point is that we have happy people right happy people who laugh and enjoy themselves because we know that happy people are they serve people better right so uh and we have an amazing team that serves each other and the students that we we reach out to so but i just love that because i i, I was i was um recently talking about justifying the cost for it and you know really it was like look if we take care of our people we take care of our business and i think this is an important an important point um okay great well that's cool because you're you've got the insight into the future and we're already doing it i feel super cool right now right now my husband says I'm not cool, but right now I feel very cool. Um, so let's just wrap this up uh, with, uh, first of all, I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for kicking off our Playing Big series. Um, we do have a live audience uh, on when we film it on Fridays. Not uh, everyone who listens to it joins us live. We have quite a few more listeners who listen to it than watch it, but I want to respect those who have come. Vicky says um, that Jess Phillips has been a very has been very vocal about the horrendous trolling she and other strong female politicians receive, much more so than men, and has evidence that it has put other women off of following a career in politics. And we discussed that early on in the podcast. She says, how can this be addressed so that more young women are encouraged and supported to enter politics so they can become female leaders of tomorrow? And I think what she's asking is, is there is there something legally that can be done to to change things or you know how can we prevent this trolling from happening i think it's very hard um and i think you know the social media companies have to kind of step up and do more but that's a very kind of like easy answer to kind of shift it onto them because it's um you know it is human behavior and people have you know always treated politicians with a healthy dose of skepticism which broadly is probably a good thing frankly and, and not being too deferential um to them but i you know obviously the situations of it have gone um way too far and there is a responsibility on people to think about language and particularly in a world where we talk so much and there is so much content that is being created um and politicians have always loved to talk but you know i saw it in the in the brexit debate you know obviously that was where i was focused on during my time at number 10 and that was the big story of the day and some of the language from both sides um from male and female uh from elected leaders was pretty poor you know using things about such language as as traitors and yeah there's some pretty horrible things briefed about the prime minister points as well at the time about you know how we're gonna you know Tory backbenchers and said they were gonna hang her and things like this we've all just got to be a bit more careful with that because it's um it has a, it has a very large impact on it and um you know i don't agree with jess phillips much politically but she's a phenomenal campaigner and you know the the uk parliament and um the uk as a whole is is much better off for having jess phillips kind of in involved in it and leading on some of these domestic violence issues um and just the general kind of hate that we see yeah well i think we do need to be careful of the language we use i you know the rule i've always had with my kids when they say things that maybe they shouldn't say uh as they're learning to navigate what they should and shouldn't say is uh is that helpful or hurtful 
And, you know, I think we have a choice as humans to um, speak uh, what what one author that I just recently read in a book calls uh, words of life to people, which is this affirmation, this this way of speaking to each other where we can empathize and understand where they're coming from. We may not have to agree with them or we may not agree with them, but there's a way of speaking to someone that acknowledges what they're going through and then can can then have a, an answer that's that's empathetic to them. And it was really interesting because uh, I think it was in this book as well, he was talking about the American political campaign and he was talking about how different politicians answered uh, the same question. And he said, and I think it was the campaign between Bill Clinton and it would have been George Bush, is that correct? And uh, And it was that they were asked a question and basically George Bush responded with sort of a political answer, didn't connect emotionally to the person. And then Bill Clinton, when he responded, tapped into the emotion of the person and empathized with their situation and then said, you know, what he would like to see. And this, that difference, uh, you know, was, uh, was quite dramatic in the way that they responded. And I think that the author mentioned something about, you know, it's too bad his wife didn't pick up on that trick, you know, that he was doing when she was running for president. But I think our words are powerful and we can choose to speak words of life or we can choose to tear someone down. And, you know, it's how do we use, how do we use positive language that's helpful to get a point across without tearing someone down in order to move the needle forward. And that is the challenge, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's the great example of um, Ronald Reagan against um, Walter Mondale, um, where he was asked about, you know, whether his kind of, you know, he was 72, 73, I think at the time, um, and about whether he was too old to be um, president. And, you know, Reagan comes back with, you know, I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I'm not going to exploit for political purposes, my opponent's youth and inexperience. Um, and I've always just thought it was such a kind of wonderful um, line and very Reagan-esque kind of humour. Um, and humour plays a very important part in politics as well, actually. But yeah, it, it's just being a bit a bit kinder and, um, you know, just trying to pause a bit more before we, we say things um, is, a, is a challenge. Yeah, I love that. I think one of the lessons that I've learned is that we definitely want to be focused on, uh, if you're going to go into politics as a female, I think bringing a sense of humor is going to be important. I think that's one of the things that I've learned from you today. Uh, bringing uh, resilience uh, and, you know, tough skin, that's also going to be something else. So I just um, want to really, really appreciate your um time today and your this wonderful conversation that we've had and uh, i want to thank you and i really want people who might be listening to this for example when we're in the middle of our boot camp sometimes we share some of our favorite podcasts what what i want you to hear from this if you are listening to this and you're on our boot camp or you're thinking about joining the 90 day program i want you to hear what jimmy did jimmy took time out to be with his child so that his wife could go back to work and do the work that she needed to do, which was a very important work in the NHS. And in doing that, didn't give up on who he was, found that unicorn time, found that space for him, created this podcast, which is now really taken off and has the, the legs for something greater. Um, but you took that risk. You did it anyway. And I just one of the things we teach on our boot camp is one of the superpowers, you know, obviously, is taking off your invisibility cloak. It's getting clear on your enhanced future vision. 
Um, but then we also, you know, we, we talk about the network that you should be on and social media um, speed and agility. And when we talk about social media speed and agility, we talk about what you should post and and when you should post. And we, we also talk about this when we talk about market magnetism, kind of building up an audience. But one of the key uh, things that I talk about is podcasting. And I say that the UK podcasting market is not saturated and it's a great market to get into. And, uh, and, and that's a great place for people to start becoming visible without even having to be on camera. You can do it with your voice. But obviously, if you're willing to do live videos as well, that's really good. So I just want to also acknowledge you for doing that, for, for, for still finding your way, even despite kind of coming out and being a, a stay-at-home parent, especially during the pandemic when you were totally on your own as well. I cannot imagine having to do that. I have, a, I have, a, I have 10 and 11-year-olds. And I said, I've said multiple times that the hardest age group, if I had to go through the pandemic, that hard age group of the toddlerhood would have been really difficult because that's where I really leaned on other people so much. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, well, thank you, Joy. And I would just say, don't worry if you don't know where you're going. Look, I had some pretty you know, moments during that time where it was like quite hard. You know, I'd gone from this very sort of like high powered, impressive central position and I didn't know what I was going to do and you know it took a long time for me to kind of work that out and it's just to your point is it's like try things you know if if you never do you'll never know and it's just try things keep iterating and you'll eventually come up with something and I sometimes think you know like yeah you know, I got the podcast out a year after I'd left number 10 and I in some ways I'm infuriated it took me that long to kind of you know get through that because it's such a should have been such an obvious thing for me to do but you're right i mean there's a lot of podcasts out there at the moment but that's because we've all been at home but i think there is real space for it and the part of the beauty about doing the podcast is a the information you find out about it i also find when i write my columns in the times particularly when i came out of number 10 it was very very useful to be like right i've got 800 words to write about this issue what do i actually think about this issue you know i can talk about it for a very long time you know right i'm politics background right that's my nature but it's you know actually doing those things so writing podcasting you know experimenting all these things are really important to try and um to try and do because eventually it leads you there there's a great like if people have time there is a brilliant stanford commencement speech from steve jobs where he talks about his career and all the different things that he did including going to like a calligraphy class which made him really appreciate design completely random i think he was able to get free food there or, or something from it and like and it just talks about all these things and how he came up and and how he ended up at apple and it's just amazing because you can look at these people and particularly in an instagram social media world you can look at people's lives and think they've got it nailed and they completely cracked it and it's all been plain sailing it just it never is like they will have had problems and failures along the way and that's all just part of it yeah absolutely uh so if you want more of jimmy please go and check <laughs> out his podcast we'll obviously link to it in the show notes it is no joke, one of my favorites, uh, next to Holly Tucker's Conversations of Inspiration. Those two are my go-to podcasts when I need some inspiration. And uh, I remember listening to the one you did with Catherine Parsons. And I, I have personally, met, I mean, I know her personally. And I messaged her and I'm like, oh my gosh, I love your vision. And, you know, I'm just, it was such a great podcast. And I just got so fired up. I woke up at three in the morning and I had to write all these ideas down. And 
So, you know, I, I do think it's very, very powerful. Uh, I'm just going to, there's one little note here as well uh, from Erlinda. She says that the Parliament Project renamed Elector is a good group that is inspiring women to find their career in politics. Many of those I met in their events have already participated in putting them forward to becoming counselors in their respective boroughs. Some have progressed to lobbying uh, to become P MPs. So that's a great group to know about as well. Well, thank you all for coming and joining us live. And of course, if you're listening on the uh, on the podcast, uh, please do uh, share it if you felt that you uh, liked it. And of course, leave us a review. Uh, if you go to techpixies.com forward slash um, podcast, we can even send you our podcast guide uh, once you've subscribed to uh, to our podcast. So we'd love to do that. And we can get you up and running with a podcast in just a couple of hours with the guide that we've created. Uh, thanks again, Jimmy. I appreciate your time. Pleasure. Thanks, Joy. Can't wait to get you on our podcast soon as well. Great to see you again.